Well, I am so glad that every single one of you guys are here today. When we began this sermon series, I told you that I was more than a little nervous. Um, there are all kinds of people who've been helping with this sermon series. There have been people who've been praying for this sermon series, and I am just so amazed at the faithfulness of our God through it so far. The very first weekend that we launched this sermon series, our attendance jumped by 10%. And I thought it was for sure going to go the opposite direction. Uh, yeah, in God amazing. We have already had 88 baptisms across our different locations during this sermon series. Uh, you guys know that I am a hardliner when it comes to social media. Um, it, but if you're going to be on it, you at least might as well follow what our church is doing because people who are sitting in the row next to you are working with our media team and they are filming unbelievably powerful stories that will encourage you and help you realize what God can do. And to those of you who are sharing your story, um, they are heartbreaking stories, but they are powerful and they are encouraging. Um, my favorite one, this is just our church. Um, I got a very sweet um, email this week from a lady who goes, uh, who watches online and she was telling her story and I mean, it was awesome. And her shirt said, um, heifer, I will put you in the trunk. And uh, I was like, I was like, that's our church. Uh, like we're just being completely, if we're real, that's us. I'm like, of course it is. Um, what shirt, what other shirt would you wear? Uh, you, I just like, praise God for this. I love, I absolutely love that our church is like that. Um, for those of you who've been emailing me, hear me, I'm doing my best to keep up with your emails, but you are emailing faster than I can read, uh, return an email, and still do my job. So uh, I'm going to get to them all, just uh, be patient. Um, but the courage that you guys have had to share your thoughts has been incredibly precious to me. I know that there are some of you across all of our different locations who may not be inclined to this sermon series. And I just want you to know that I am incredibly thankful for you for loving and leading well through this series. One of the signs of spiritual maturity is the ability to be others focused. When you can say, it's not about me. And I do hope that you will continue, through, uh, continue to lean in through the sermon series because all of you at all of our locations are going to interact with people that you love and care for that have to wrestle with one of these issues that we're talking about. And I want you to be prepared in that moment to be a light in a dark place. I want you to be ready to love and lead well. I want you to be prepared to offer solid counsel, a biblical framework, and above all, hope. One of my favorite things that we have done during this sermon series is create additional resources. We're posting them on our social media as well as our website. There are testimonies. There is re new released this week our, is video teaching from a dear friend of mine and difference maker at our uh, Macomb, no, our Keokuk campus, Mike Maher, who is a professional counselor. And you can watch those videos and they will put you in a position to provide hope and help for the people that you love. The other thing that we did is uh, Biscuit here at our 48th Street campus who works on our tech team created a Spotify playlist called Weeds in My Garden. And uh, I listen to those songs on nonstop. It's the only thing I have listened to when I've been writing the sermons. They are the soundtrack to the sermons that I have been preaching. And I promise you, you will enjoy um, listening to those songs. I want to welcome all of you who are joining here from our different locations, online, inside. Uh, I want to offer a special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. 
We are so glad that you are here. And if at any point during the sermon uh, you want to connect with our church or maybe take a next step or learn more about our church or take a step of faith, you can either use the QR code on the chair in front of you or you can talk to someone after the service in one of our lobbies. I want to encourage you to make contact with one of our campus pastors, staff members, or difference makers. They are some of the very best people on planet Earth, and I am so thankful that I get to do ministry alongside of them. And to those of you who are new, we are in a sermon series about being honest about mental health called Weeds in My Garden. It has been a more somber and serious collection of messages, but a survey we did internally at our church revealed to us that we desperately needed to speak into these issues. And it also showed us that there are so many people that we love and care for that are having to navigate weeds in their garden. Um, if you want to get caught up on this sermon series, you can watch them on our website, or a, perhaps an easier place for you to get caught up is for you to go to YouTube, look for our logo, and then all of those sermons are posted there. This very well may be the most difficult message I'm going to preach this year. You'll notice about any time I bring this bad boy out, uh, I'm needing Jesus to help me. And uh, I've got all of the words I'm supposed to say right here because I don't want to say anything wrong. So if you were going, hey, you should really come hang out and hear Clayton preach this weekend. He's, he's young, he's hip, he's fat, and he's funny. Um, that's the only joke you're getting this week, okay? Um, because we are going to be talking, um, well, for two weeks I've been trying to figure out the best way to actually talk about this in a meaningful way and in a conscientious way. Because today we're going to be talking about suicide. And there may be some of you who are going, I'm not suicidal. And I want you to hear me, most people who died by suicide at one point in time weren't thinking about it either. Uh, there are some of you who are going, but I'm not going to do that. And I want you to know that most people who died by suicide at one point in time uh, didn't think that they were either. And you might be thinking, this will never happen to me. And I want you to know that some of the people out there who died by suicide who are at one point in time numbered among you weren't thinking it was going to happen to them either. And as I preach this sermon, there are three groups of people that I cannot stop thinking about. I keep thinking about those of you who are Christians you love God and you want to love people well. You care deeply for the people around you and you know that some of them are dealing with deep battles. You can hear the darkness in their words and in their voice. You can see the pain in their face. You want to do something, but you don't know what to do. You want to say something, but you're not sure what to say. You want to help, but you're not sure what that looks like. I'm thinking about those of you that have lost a loved one to suicide. There isn't a hole in your heart. Your heart is not broken. It is shattered. There are so many pieces in so many different places that you cannot even begin to articulate the pain. It comes in waves. It could be in a mannerism that you see in a stranger at a grocery store the smell of a deodorant, cologne, or perfume that they used to wear. It shows up when their favorite band comes over the radio or when you're at a friend's house and they unknowingly make their favorite meal. 
It could be when you walk down the hallway past the room that is left exactly the way it was. It shows up when you look at the pictures on the wall or during a celebration of their favorite holiday. It happens during the changing of the seasons as you enter the one that they enjoyed the most. It shows up as guilt and shame when you finally have a long-awaited good day. And then you feel guilty and horrible for having one in the first place. I'm also thinking about those of you right now who are self-harming or inundated with suicidal thoughts. Your mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, and behind the smiles are long showers, never-ending fatigue, and the endless erosion of hope. The thoughts become whispers. The whispers become shouts, except when you cover your ears, it only gets louder because the noise is coming from the inside. Suicide is now the third leading cause of death for teens and young adults between the ages of 15 and 24. 25% of adults between 18 and 24 reported having seriously considered suicide in the past month. 18% of high school students reported seriously considered suicide in the past year. If you want to understand how big of a problem this is, when you hop on Zillow to find out where you're going to go live and where you want to move and you worry about the crime rate and the murder rate, there were 24,000 homicides in America last year. And there were 45,000 suicides. Which means that in America you are twice as likely to die from suicide than by homicide. There is a suicide death in America every 11 and a half minutes. And there is one death for every 25 attempts. That means that there is an attempted suicide every 27 and a half seconds. That means from the moment our service started at 6 p.m. on Thursday until our services end on Sunday at noon. 66 hours later, there will be 8,640 attempts in the United States of America. If we bring this closer to home, when we did the survey here at our church, one out of 11 people in our church struggle with suicidal thoughts and self-harm. One in 11 were women and one in 12 were men. 20% were in their teens, 22% in their 20s, 24% were in their 30s. That means that 66% of the people in our church who struggle with th thoughts and ideations about suicide are under the age of 40. So today, what I want to do is I want to answer some very simple and basic questions surrounding suicide and self-harm. The first question is, does the Bible talk about suicide? The answer is yes. Depending on how you count, there are either six or seven suicides mentioned in the Bible. There was Abimelech in Judges chapter 9. 
He was an evil king. He had burned down a temple with a thousand people in it and they died. He went to another town and as he approached the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped a huge millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Unwilling to bear the humiliation of being killed by a woman, he ordered his armor bearer to run him through with a sword. There was Samson in Judges chapter 16. Some consider his act a suicide and others do not, which is why there's a discrepancy between whether there were six or seven. But his final act was that he wished to die with his enemies who had captured him, blinded him, and humiliated him. And he pushed with all of his might and the temple pillars collapsed around him and it killed all of those who were in it and around it. There was King Saul, the very first king of Israel. He was the one who brought David into the palace. He was the one who gave David permission to go and fight Goliath. In a battle, he was wounded with arrows, and he ordered his armor bearer to run him through with a sword, but his armor bearer refused, and so Saul fell on his own sword. One verse later, in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 5, the armor bearer, seeing that Saul was dead, fell on his sword, and so he died alongside of him. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, we read of the death of Ahithophel, a one-time companion of David whose relationship with David turned sour, and he ended up fighting against David and tried to overthrow David by installing David's son Absalom as king. He became distraught over the events of a battle and his vice was not being heeded, and so he went home, put his house in order, and then he hanged himself. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 18 tells of an evil king by the name of Zimri who plotted his way to power through deception and betrayal. When it all caught up to him, he went to the palace and set it on fire around him. And then there is the most famous suicide of all, Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 through 5. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people made their plans to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Second question, is suicide a sin? The answer to that question is yes. Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 states, you shall not murder. This is the sixth of the 10 commandments that God gave to the people of Israel. And suicide is self-murder. We are told in the Psalms that God is the giver of life. Psalm 36, 9 says, for, uh, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. God is the giver, the breather of life that you and I have. We are also told that our days belong to him. That's what it says in Job chapter 14, verse 5. A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months. You have to set the limits that he cannot exceed. 
Suicide is a sin because suicide is against the will of God and it robs us of our potential in Christ and participation in his glorious mission. There's no doubt about it. Suicide is a sin. The next question that I'm going to answer is one of the most common questions that I get from people. It is easily in the top 20. If you invite me over to your house to answer all of your questions, I will place all the money in my bank account that somebody in there will ask me this question. Is suicide an unforgivable sin? The answer to that question, and if you only take one thing away from this message, the answer is no. Is suicide an unforgivable sin? The answer is no. I am absolutely amazed at how well this lie has creeped into our hearts and minds that people think that a person who committed suicide is not worthy of the grace and forgiveness of God. And shame on anyone who has taught this or spoken this over you. I can't imagine looking at a family who are trying to pick up the pieces of their lives and speaking something that is so foreign to the Bible and the gospel message. I'm, listen to me. The reason people say this is because they say you can't repent of the sin of suicide. And maybe they're saying, hey, make suicide the unforgivable sin so that people will be worried about committing suicide because it'll put up a barrier. But lying to people is not how you treat people. When people say that suicide is an unforgivable sin because you can't repent of the sin of suicide, listen to me. We are not saved based on our repentance of each of our sins. There are sins you commit every single day that you do not repent of. Some of them you are aware of and some of them you are not aware of. We are not saved based on our last act on earth. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. We are not saved based on our sinless uh, state. We are saved by a sinless Savior. The Bible is clear. There is only one sin that is unforgivable. And so I'm going to teach this to you. So that way when somebody says something like this, you can address it. Matthew Chapter 12, verse 31 through 32. And so I tell you, this is Jesus talking, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. What kind of sin can be forgiven? Every kind of sin. And suicide is a kind of sin, which means suicide can be 
forgiven. What cannot be forgiven is when the Holy Spirit who convicts us and woos us and draws us to the heart of Christ exposes us to the gospel message and Christian community and reveals the truth of God's word in our life and a person says, I don't want anything to do with that. That is the unforgivable sin because that person refuses to accept the forgiveness that God uh, bestows upon them. They receive, refuse to receive the gift of God's forgiveness. That's why it's unforgivable because they never take hold of the forgiveness in the first place. Listen to what Paul, who wrote a majority of the book in the New Testament, wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul committed egregious sins and blasphemy against God and the Holy Spirit, but then he received and responded to the wooing of God's grace. So what do I do if I know, if someone I know is struggling with suicidal thoughts? Take it seriously. It is never a joke. It is so much better to be safe than sorry. Talk about it. It is a myth that asking a person about suicide will encourage the person to attempt suicide. The exact opposite is true. Think about the work that Satan has done. I wonder how many of you would have raised your hand that talking about suicide increases the chance of a person committing suicide. So Satan actually comes in, gets us to believe a lie that actually makes matters worse. Do you see the work that he is trying to do in our communities and in your families? Asking somebody directly about suicides uh, or directly about their suicidal feelings will lower their anxiety level and act as a deterrent your openness and concern in asking about suicide will allow the person experiencing pain to talk about their challenges. This may allow the person with suicidal thoughts to feel less lonely, less isolated, and perhaps a bit relieved. This is an, a little side note. When you talk about it, talk about it carefully. This is when you are not ministering to a person who is struggling with the idea of suicide, but people who have been impacted by the suicide of a family member or a friend. Don't use terms like committed suicide or killed themselves. Refer to it as death by suicide or simply that they died. And I know for some of you that might seem incredibly trivial, but words have power. And we want to use our words to bring hope and help and not push people away in pain when they need community the most. When you are talking to somebody who is struggling with suicidal thoughts, talk about it directly. When you notice warning signs of suicide, it's important to ask direct questions. Don't ask, are you planning on harming or hurting yourself? That may be too vague and the person may not be sure what you mean. Ask, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? 
If they say yes, have you thought about how you would kill yourself? Have you decided uh, when you would do it? Have you, done any, uh, have you done anything to get the things you need to kill yourself? And if they answer yes to any of those questions, call 911. Tell the dispatcher that the person is at risk for suicide. If available, ask for a mental health crisis professional and you stay with them until help arrives. I want you to love them the way you would want to be loved. I want you to fight for them the way you would want someone to fight for you. Mark chapter 12, verse 31, the second greatest commandment that was given to all of us to live out is to love your neighbor as yourself. How would you want to be loved in that moment? In those moments, we as Christians must rise to the occasion and be an all-in friend. I'll go with you. I'll check you in. I'll make the call. I'll mow the lawn. I'll help out. It is better to save a life than worry about what they might think about you or them being offended about you. Get over yourself and focus on them, I would so much rather us be safe than sorry. Look what it says in 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Our love must motivate us into action. Galatians 6, 2 calls each and every single one of us to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. When you carry somebody else's burdens, you are fulfilling the command to love God and love people. I want you to remember it is not a sin to be sick. No looks of disdain. They are in a fight for their life, and Satan is trying to take the gift of life put in them by God himself. There are chemical malfunctions, situational trauma, and clinical challenges that are all crashing down on them. And the last thing they need is your condescension. They just need your help. What do I do if I lost someone I love to suicide? One, remember that God knows what it's like to lose a child. He's been through the pain, and he knows the pain of death and the beauty of the resurrection. You can trust him. Two, I want you to remember that God is close. Cling to these words, Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I can't think of a more brokenhearted, crushed in spirit circumstance than coming home to a letter or getting the unforgettable phone call or discovering the body of a loved one. God is close to you, and his strength will get you through. Third thing, let go of any guilt or shame that you carry. It was not your fault. Any guilt or shame that you feel is not coming from God. It is coming from Satan. And he is using the terrible choice of a loved one and the horrible pain that you feel to isolate you, deceive you, and rob you of joy, purpose, and a future. 
You did what you thought was best. If you knew then what you know now, of course you would have done things differently. But you didn't know then what you know now. And even if you did something wrong, God's love for you in Christ has conquered it. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget what happened in the past. Do not dwell on events from long ago. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You are in a horrible spot, a gut-wrenching, life-altering spot, and you cannot rely on your own feelings, and you cannot rely on your own strength to get you through. You are going to have to trust fully on the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the strength of God to pull you through. Otherwise, you will make decisions that will only make matters worse. He will take a suicide in your family and turn it into a divorce, financial problems, relational woes. You are going to have to cling to the good shepherd and he will pull you through. I believe we serve a God who loves you, cares for you, and has a purpose for you. I believe that we serve a God who can bring beauty out of ashes and strength from weakness. I believe we serve a God who makes all things beautiful in his timing. I'm not asking you to forget them or stop mourning their loss or hurting in their absence, but I am telling you not or I'm, I am telling you to stop carrying the guilt and shame that Satan is trying to put on you to expand the devastating toll that he already levied on your family. And finally, Clayton, what do I do if I'm struggling with self-harm or suicidal thoughts? One, call the new hotline number effective January or July 16th of this year. The number is 988. You call that number. Hear me. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Rick Warren, who lost a son to suicide, says it this way. Most people don't want to die. They want out of their pain. And I want you to hear me say this. You don't have to end your life to end your pain. Suicide is using a nuclear bomb to get rid of the mosquitoes. No emotion lasts forever. They come in waves. They come in, they crash, and then they dissipate and fall away. No matter how intense the pain, no matter how intense the struggle, it cannot last forever. So never make a permanent decision based on a temporary feeling. Realize you are not thinking clearly. It is not possible to think logically when you are deeply depressed, overwhelmed, and exasperated. It is a lie. It is a lie to think that those around you would be better off without you. you had to sit in the homes of the people that mourn you. It is a lie. It is a lie from Satan. Your family wants you. Don't ever 
doubt that. Recognize that Satan is trying to use this moment to rob you and your family. God has placed you in your family. You are one of God's gifts to them. Don't let Satan win. Get in community. You were never meant to do life alone. We are better together. You need the safety net of God's community. Joy is doubled in community, and pain is cut in half. And finally, you cannot fight this fight on your own strength. You may need counselors. You may need medication. You may need a support group. You may need therapy. And for sure, 100%, you are going to need the power of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. They're going to be dark days, devastatingly dark days. And we don't get to pick when they come. But when they come, I want to make sure that you have everything you need. And the most important thing that you're going to need is the Spirit of God working in your life, and you can have that. You can have that Holy Spirit ally when you are in an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're moving to a time of decision. So to those of you who are in this room here at 48th Street, and there are those of you who are watching online, I know that some of you, this was way too close to home, and for some of you, this was like, why... Why this? It's because suicide is on the rise. So while your generation maybe not, maybe not have navigated it, by the time your grandkids or your great-grandkids get around, um, it will have multiplied drastically. And so you're going to have to be prepared to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You're going to have to be prepared to know how to walk and navigate and love and lead very well. And there are some of you in this room that have never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus. And I believe, I believe that Jesus is the first answer to every question. I just do. And and the lies that Satan has woven into the fabric of your life. You will never be able to fight those on your own power and on your own strength. And so if you are not in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a sheep without a shepherd and the wolves are coming. Here's the story of my life in a nutshell. I will make 999 really great decisions. And then I will make one bad decision that is so blatantly stupid and out of character. You'll be like, how does this guy put his pants on? Like, how could you be so dumb? And when I was in high school, I, you know, 90, not good decision 998, and then good decision 999, and then I, it was my turn. And I made... Uh, an absolute mess of my life. And I was not convicted of my sin. I was, didn't really give a rip. Uh, I was worried about the consequences. And I didn't want to be around for what was coming. And 
um, I remember that whole night having unbelievably deep, dark thoughts. And I remember going in high school, this is it. And uh, I was like, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily do that. Uh, I can't do what I'm going to do without my family notice, and I'll have to just get up in the morning. And I don't know how serious I really was in my heart or in my mind that night, but I, but I can tell you this. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking that I was going to go do the unthinkable. And my mom was at the, cor- at the edge of my bed holding my ankle. I think about the marriages I've been able to be a part of and the counseling I've been able to provide and the baptisms I've been able to minister to and the sermons I've been able to preach and Satan could have wiped all of that off the map because he got me to think of just my situation and not my savior. God did a mighty redeeming work in my life. And I I would tell you that that's the, I wish I could tell you that's the only time I've had that. But I would say like, uh, I don't know how many years ago, I went through like a three-day spell where I wasn't uh, highly suicidal, but I started just hearing over and over again, man, things would just be better off if you were. And I know that there's some of you that you're going, Clayton, three days sounds like a vacation of that because I can never escape it. I can't shake it. I can't get away from it. I can't get rid of it. It is just knocking on the door of my head all the time. And what grounds me, what pulls me through is that I'm spending time with the word of God, having the spirit of God, the people of God around me. My intimate personal relationship with Jesus makes, not just made, makes all the difference. And if you have questions about that or what that is, I want to encourage you to today, come over, find someone, talk to them about what it means to start that intimate personal relationship. To those of you in this room who are Christians, you have family members who are hurting and suffering, would you be willing to just get down on your knees and lift them up? You know people who are going through incredibly difficult and dark times right now, and maybe you've been dismissive. Would you just bombard the gates of heaven on their behalf? Maybe some of you would be willing, your teachers, your, your service providers, and you hear on a regular basis people around you who are struggling, would you just get down on your knees and say, God, help me to be a support system for those who are hanging on. Be, I want us to be a church that wants to help and wants to point people to hope. And I hope you guys will join me in that mission. Would you guys stand with me? God, one of the things I don't understand about you is how you see all the pain in this world. How you're there for every hurt. I don't get it. I don't know how you manage car crash after car crash, train wreck after train wreck. And at the same time, Rejoice with those who rejoice. But while I don't understand how you do it, God, I am so thankful that you do. I'm thankful that you are there for every hurt, for every trial, for every dark thought. 
God, I'm thankful for your son Jesus who died on the cross, who conquered the grave and made sure that this is not all there is, that there is something coming, something better, something brighter, something beautiful. And God, we await that day where you wipe every tear from our eye. But until then, God, give every person within the sound of my voice the strength to carry on, the wisdom not to fall victim to the lies of Satan, and the courage to help and hope those, or, or give, and give hope those to those around us. In your name I pray, amen.